0: Iran prepares to hold a parliamentary election in which government critics have almost no role. As we hear from an Iranian-American news editor, the electorate is largely apathetic.
1: Many of these people do not know where is the election, and they don't want to know.
0: Leaked documents show Iran has convicted several VOA Persian journalists in absentia for alleged propaganda crimes. One of them gives us his reaction. A UN independent expert on human rights in Iran is wrapping up six years of work. He tells us why he's optimistic. And U.S. social media companies penalize Iranian government accounts. An Iranian-American who sued them to do that a year ago shares how he thinks Iran's rulers will respond.
2: They have bigger issues that they have to deal with than getting those blue check marks on social platforms.
0: From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Iran. Good morning, I'm Michael Lippin in Washington. Iran is two days away from a parliamentary election that could see turnout drop to a record low after a broad spectrum of opposition groups and parties urged Iranians to boycott what they see as a sham vote. On March 1st, thousands of candidates will vie for the 285 directly elected seats in the parliament or modulus. But a governmental vetting body blocked virtually all critics of Iran's ultra-conservative Islamist rulers from running. A retired teacher in Tehran's Grand Bazaar told the French news agency on Saturday that the election will draw weak interest from the public because Iran's inflation-plagued economy is extremely troubling, as he put it. A homemaker named Masume said candidates for previous elections made promises, but nothing changed. Kamelia Ntekabifard is the chief editor of the independent Persian news site, I asked her by phone how strong is the election boycott sentiment inside Iran compared to the Iranian diaspora.
1: Iranians inside Iran have a different perspective than the Iranian outsides. And of course, both the oppositions group, the people who are confronting the regime inside Iran and the one outside Iran fighting for the freedom, they can merge to come to one core of not attending the election or not casting their vote at this election. I try to tell you the people of Iran have passed the boycott phase for years and have become completely indifferent. What I am hearing as the chief editor of a Persian newspaper, being in touch with so many Iranians, receiving messages and monitoring the events inside Iran, many of these people do not know where is the election and they don't want to know. They are just busy with their own life and they were thinking this is a show and they don't need to participate at the regime's show whatsoever.
0: Well, you correctly said that boycott sentiment has been around for a long time in Iran, but do you have any sense that this year the boycott sentiment could be stronger and we could see an even lower turnout for the parliamentary election than four years ago?
1: It can be for some other reasons too. For the two years ago national movement inside Iran, I'm talking about two Septembers ago and because of so many people killed many youths and because the regime didn't make itself accountable and they still continue to execute some of those detainees, we can see the frustrations and anger sentiments inside of the society stronger than ever, but always the regime somehow managed to pull some of the people that can be from the people serving at the armies, uh, the family of the people working for the government. There are lots of government sectors inside Iran. The students, the teachers, there are millions of the people working for this regime, not because they were supporting them to support their family and to have an income. And these people are so hopeless. Sometimes they push, they have a buses and they would bring them to a particular station which have their own cameras and they can mobilize a huge presentation or a propaganda, not for me, not for the Iranian inside Iran, we know this propaganda, but for outsiders to claim the participation was huge. They can claim a legitimacy. For the regime, the legitimacy in the eyes of the international community is more important than seeing the massive participation or the demands of the public has been addressed at the elections. I wouldn't be surprised on Friday seeing the national TV shows and other big events happen and the people show in a large number at the streets. They are orchestrating these things. And for 45 years, they become such an expert to having this um, kind of events prepared and presented well to the world. So
0: one question I have also is with this election, If the turnout is, in fact, relatively low or even lower than before, what does that mean for the future of the Islamic Republic?
1: The number, they can always play with the numbers. They can manipulate it. They never, ever told us an exact number. The participants, usually they pretend the participation was very big or sometimes maybe they just prefer less number of the people participate at the election to let their own candidates, who own supporters for sure would cast their votes they win the election. The great example of that was the previous presidential election. Everyone and also the regime's people, they knew the number of the participants was much less than previous elections, but it was at their favours because they wanted the primary IEC to become the president. But this particular election on Friday, there is two elections. It's not only one. It's not only the parliamentary election. It's also the assembly of the experts election. The group's 88 assembly members to be elected. And the job of these people is to choose The supreme leader, or if something happened to the supreme leader, they can nominate the next supreme leader in Iran. I believe regardless of the number of the participants at these two elections, this election is very important because the supreme leader is aged. And uh, we don't know how long he's going to live or what would happen, but the Assembly of Experts would be elected for four years. And I can see that that would be a transformation in power of the supreme leadership in Iran if this regime continued during these four years. And that means these four years is extremely important. I believe the supreme leader wouldn't wait until the natural death comes to him to choose the next person. He likes, maybe, this is my opinion, he just uh, resigned due to age or claiming a sickness. Having the people who elected this Friday, mainly the people who he likes to be member of this assembly, if this is the scenario, it would give him chances to choose the next supreme leader when he is alive and still in power. That's why this election is very important. Camellia
0: Entekhabifard, author and chief editor of The Independent Persian, joining us on the line from the UAE. Good to have you on Flashpoint Iran.
1: Thank you very much, dear Michael. Good to be with you and your dear listeners. Voice
0: of America has denounced Iranian authorities for convicting a number of its Persian journalists in absentia for the alleged crime of spreading anti-government propaganda. The convictions came to light last week when hacking group Adalat Ali published Iranian judiciary documents showing that a Tehran revolutionary court convicted Persian journalists from VOA and from other Western news outlets in a secret trial in 2022. In a statement on Tuesday, acting VOA director John Lipman said, These actions by Iran are typical of a regime that does not value human rights or the rule of law. They are thinly veiled attempts to stop the free flow of information into Iran. They are also evidence of the success of VOA Persian in having an influential role in keeping the issues of women's rights, open expression, and the importance of a free society front and center in Iran voa stands by our journalists and their reporting iran's u.n mission in new york did not respond to a voa request for comment sent on tuesday morning one of the 11 voa persian journalists named in the documents is arash Sigarchi. i asked him in the studio how they determined whether the court records were real
3: michael actually uh, we have a guide on uh, document leaks or classified documents, even if it is Iranian document in the VOA. So we go to fact-checking, review all documents we previously had, and I can say some of the stories we had and facts we had are showing us these documents are accurate. For example, I can give you an example. One of our colleague's father, just went to sell his house in Iran, in Iran, in Tehran, and you know, a partial process of the selling house. He was informed by judiciary, Iran judiciary system, you cannot sell this house because uh, the owner of this house is your son or daughter, for example, and there is a trade ban, and you cannot sell it. So we didn't know about that. There is a conviction or sentence, but when the guy tried to sell it, notice, oh, there is something behind, secretly. There's some legal case that is active involving the person's family. Exactly.
0: Well, once you realized that these court documents are authentic, how did you and your colleagues react to this
3: news? Honestly, for example, for me, when I heard that, it was sad, you know. We are not committing any crime here. We try to be a, a good citizen, and even based on Iranian values, we are a good citizen. We try to obey laws and uh, have a respect, and we are just j- journalists. We are just a reporter, nothing else. We are not spying. We are not selling information or something like that. They're saying that you're spreading propaganda against the regime. This is a
0: common charge that the Iranian government puts on dissidents, people who they don't like. So... Now, you know, you're being labeled like those
3: dissidents. But you're saying, in your case, it's different. It is. And I just want to give you an example how it's different. We are talking about two different countries. Here in the U.S., everybody can report. There is no restriction for you. Even Iranian IRIB reporter. IRIB is a state TV. Yes, a state TV. A person who was same age with me, He was working for IIB, Iranian state media, in New York for five years. And now he returned to Iran without any persecution, any legal issue in the U.S. But can we as a VOA go to Iran and do our job? Definitely no, because they try to put a label on us. And even our job as a journalist, based on Iranian, Islamic Republic of Iran's law, is not crime. Now, there are journalists operating in Iran, but they have to be sort of working for approved organizations. The organization should be approved, but reporter, as a reporter, everybody can report. Based on Iranian law, Iranian constitution, everyone can report, everyone can trade information. Well, that's their version of the freedom of speech. Exactly. But it, it has a lot of restrictions.
0: Yes. Well, you mentioned, like, if you were to go to Iran, what would happen? So with this case... Is it giving you more reasons to not go back because now there's a conviction and
3: even a possible prison sentence coming? Uh, I can say almost forty four journalists were convicted in this new document release. I can say almost none of them go Iran and they don't have any plan very soon to go to Iran, so none of you are going to go anywhere no because even. I'm not talking about journalists. I'm talking about somebody close to journalists. If they go to Iran, they would be arrested. For example, the Iranian government says about Nazanin Zaghari. Just she had some workshop for Reuters or somebody else. She was the British Iranian arrested and jailed in Iran for several years. Exactly. Even she just was close to journalists. She was arrested for several years. She worked for Thomson Reuters. Exactly. So none of our Iranian colleagues have a plan to go to Iran. And then I just want to give you my situation is a little different. I was in Iran. I worked as a journalist, a chief editor for a newspaper. I was in jail because of my journalism activities. Almost three years I was in jail, and I escaped the country, came out. So if I go back, again, I have to face... You'd have to finish that first prison sentence from the first
0: case. Oh, my gosh. So how does all of this affect the work that you do?
3: Actually, I can say nothing, no effect, because it's not first time me, my family, my colleagues are followed by Iranian uh, government putting some label on us. Because, uh, honestly, we are doing our job as a journalist trying to be fair, balanced. Even with this incident, it doesn't have uh, any effect on us because we are doing our job.
0: Well, uh, Aris, I'm so glad to hear that you and your colleagues are continuing to do the great work uh, that you have been doing in light of this development. Aris Sigarchi, VOA Persian Managing Editor, great to be with you here in the studio for Flashpoint Iran. Thank you for having me. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Iran. I'm Michael Lippin. UN Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights in Iran, Javed Rehman, says he plans to publish a report on the Islamic Republic's history of engaging in enforced disappearances and mass killings of dissidents before he completes his six-year term in a few months. Rehman previewed the report in a TV interview with VOA Persian reporter Matab Vahidi Rad, recorded on February 20th. In that interview, Rehman also addressed critics who say his years of research into Iran's human rights violations have been hindered by Iranian authorities' refusal to let him into the country or cooperate with his mandate. Here is what he had to say in response.
4: What I would say is that I've had opportunities. I've had formal and informal meetings with uh, various Iranian officials and we have had communications and every time I complete a report, I send this report. The first point of contact after I've completed the report is to the state concerned, that is the Iranian authorities, and they have, in many occasions, they have responded They have commented, uh, I've raised my concerns. They have engaged in that sense. So there is a mechanism that is in place. So they do respond. But you have to remember that I am criticizing the most sensitive aspect in so far as they are concerned. So, for example, when I talk about the rights of women and girls, when I express my concerns about hijab and forced hijab, this goes back to their fundamental policy the fundamental tenet of the 1979 Islamic revolution. So it is not uh, very easy for them to concede. But you will see that over time, they will have no choice. We have criticized them to the extent that women and girls are now no longer following this policy. You see, what can they do? I mean, this has collapsed, this whole issue. Over time, you will see that people of Iran will have the courage to resist. Other policies of uh, religious repression, other policies of uh, intimidation, of harassment, and I have no doubt that there will be a change in the policies of the Islamic Republic of Iran, including in relation to the most serious offenses such as large scale executions. Uh, They will have to change their way, they have to accept what the international community tells them, and therefore. I think that while you have made all of these criticisms, I think that the mandate ever since it was renewed in 2011 has achieved a lot of positives. We have done a lot to highlight our key concerns and the world is much more aware of the human rights issues and the human rights violations that are taking place in the country.
0: That was UN Special Rapporteur on the situation of human rights in Iran, Javed Rahman. Iran's Islamist rulers have suffered a setback in their efforts to spread their messages on some of the world's biggest social media platforms. U.S. tech giant Meta removed the Facebook and Instagram accounts of Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei on February eighth for repeatedly violating its policy on dangerous organizations and individuals. A week later, U.S. platform X removed blue and gold badges from Iranian state media accounts, including those of Press TV and the Iranian judiciary's Mizan News, which subsequently was suspended. Activists have accused X of violating U.S. sanctions for offering the badges as paid premium services to sanctioned Iranian individuals and entities. Iranian American activist and attorney Rumi Parsa sued Meta and X, then known as Twitter, in December 2022 in U.S. federal court to try to force them to take actions such as those taken this month. But Parsa withdrew the lawsuit in January 2023 as he could not establish standing in the case. I spoke to Parsa on the phone and asked him why he thinks the U.S. tech giants acted now.
2: It's a very good question. So as you may know, I filed a lawsuit against these mega social media entities last year, asking for the removal of the Ayatollah and the IRGC leaders from these platforms. And in my lawsuit, I made several arguments, one of which was that the United States has several statutes, including Section 1754 c of the National Defense Authorization Act, and others that basically says that any person who aids and abets by knowingly providing substantial assistance to international terrorism will be held responsible. And my argument was that people like Khamenei are promoting violence on a daily basis. And I cited instances where Khamenei had made statements on social media platforms to promote violence against Israel. Now, here we are. Israel is in its current situation with Palestine. And I believe that my lawsuit served as notice to these platforms way before something like this happened that, hey, The way you are managing your own community policies is flawed. And I think that odds were that someone would have brought a lawsuit against them at some point where Section 230, which normally provides immunity against lawsuits, you know, against social media platforms, would not have withstand that. And, you know, they were afraid of a massive liability. That's my interpretation.
0: Now that the Iranian supreme leader has been taken off of Facebook and Instagram, what kind of response do you think we might see from the Iranian side? Could there be some ways that they would try to get around that?
2: I mean, I don't think they can get the blue check marks or, you know, those official validations anymore. So there is no way to get around it. But they have bigger issues that they have to deal with than getting those blue check marks on social platforms. They're busy with, you know, the situation inside of Iran. You know, it's very unstable. It's basically peace before storm, if you will. <laughs> and obviously, the international position is they're very desperate and you know cornered. You know, their best ally is Russia, which is dragged in the middle of a war itself, and. I don't think they really can do much about the whole situation affecting the social media. There's just so much other things going on that are more important right now.
0: Well, how do you feel about these latest uh, actions by the social media giants? Are you satisfied or you know, do you want to see them go further?
2: To be 100% honest with you, Michael, I'm a huge proponent of freedom of speech. I believe everybody should have a voice in this world. However, um, it's very complicated because, like I said, the problem with social media platforms, the biggest problem is, imagine they're creating their own community rules, right? And they exercise editorial control and judgment over publication of users' posts. The problem is, well, they have a duty now to apply these rules equally and consistently with respect to all users, right? But... Ad sales is basically the lifeblood for these social media platforms. I did a research, over 85% of their total revenue comes from ad sales. Now imagine like the controversial and emotionally charged content that is being posted on these platforms is a source of income. So they could essentially become propaganda machines over time of whoever has the deepest pocket. So freedom of speech is good, but it's complicated in this day and age. I don't have an answer, Michael. I really don't know what the right answer is, but it's absolutely something that the experts should sit down and truly dissect and try to figure out how to move forward because right now it doesn't look good. It's really scary.
0: Well, on that note, uh, Rumi Parsa, entrepreneur and attorney speaking from Irvine, California. Nice of you to join us on Flashpoint Iran.
2: Thank you, thank you for having me.
0: That's a wrap of the show. I'm Michael Lippin. Glad you could join me. We'll have another Flashpoint Iran for you next week.